Um, I just wanted to ask you this question. We can be a little interactive for a little bit. I, I have to ask this because this was a really funny thing. Um, I was standing in line uh, at Walgreens, and it was a really, really long line. And so I was had the opportunity and the blessing to hear this conversation. Uh, somebody came in. So today is Janu- January 11th, right? So this was January 9th. And somebody came in and was like, hey, happy new year. And somebody turned in line and said, you can't say that anymore. (laughs) Let me ask you this question. When is the cutoff for saying happy new year in January? Does anybody know? I was sitting in the line and I thought this was hilarious because I was like, when I I didn't, I was like, I was like, yeah, what's what, what's up with that guy saying happy new year? And I was like, wait, when is the cutoff? And then I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, I don't know if there is a cutoff. Maybe you could say it all the way to July 4th for all I care. I don't know. Maybe you're not out of line. But then I was like, but I don't cut, you know, like once you, yeah, January 1, 2, 3, 4, okay, now you should stop. But I was like, where do I, where do I get that information? It's kind of arbitrary, right? Like, when do I stop? So these two people are looking at each other and there was like, uh, like a standoff. And they just stared at each other. And then the one guy said, don't say that again. And the other guy goes, I'm going to say it as many times as I like it. And then they cross each other. Apparently, they know each other, and apparently, they must do this every year because I had of felt like there was some history there. But I just want to put this out there to you when you are reading the Bible. Aren't you glad that we have all the answers to all the questions that we have for God? I mean, the majority of life that we are living right now, we can ask those questions, look right at the verse, and then go, you know what? That's what the Lord expects of us. Um, I'll give you this, the case in point. Um, just you have a little, like, medical back history for me. I have high blood pressure on both sides of my family. And so I was diagnosed with high blood pressure at a very young age. And, um, you know, I'm so glad that when I walked in there, and I actually know, like, it was about to go down, too, because the doctor went from, like, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, Joey. And when he said, Joseph, take a seat, I was like, wow, okay, this is about to go down. Now I know something's getting real, right? Like, he never talks like that. He never pats the seat. He never gives me that, Joseph, he never sits down himself because he usually breezes in and breezes out. And I was like, okay, let's sit and have this conversation. And he says, you have high blood pressure. And, you know, in the moment, I got kind of, a, a, like, upset with him. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm young. I, don't, I have the rest of my life. And he goes, it doesn't matter what you feel. This is the truth of what I'm looking at. You have very high blood pressure. And I said, okay, so what should I do? And he says, well, you have two options. You can take this medicine right now, or you can do, and if some of you have had uh, experience with this, a whole lifestyle change. You know what that means? Goodbye, double cheeseburgers with bacon. If you're like me, side of, I know this is going to be really weird, blue cheese. Can I, can I dip it in the blue cheese? No, Joey, you can't dip it in the blue cheese anymore. We have to make a change. And, you know, I did. I made that change. I went on from you know, more walks, I ate more healthy, and then what happened? My blood pressure came down. And you know, it was kind of crazy when I came in the second time and I said, hey, look at my progress. And he's like, you're doing really good, but you're not all the way there. And I looked him in the eye and I said, thank you so much for telling me that. Thank you so much for taking the time to send it. He was like, well, that's my job. When we're reading the book of Romans, you're gonna hear a lot of things in the Bible that you might not love. You might not even like it. But the truth of it is, is that, Paul, who's been guided by Jesus Christ, is going to be diagnosing some sin, and we're going to be glad that God is confronting it and not just washing it over. Because the doctor could have been like, I'm busy, I'm going playing golf later, Joey can deal with it. But that's not true. I had an issue, and what did the Lord do? The Lord sent me to the doctor, the doctor diagnosed it, what happened? He gave me the path to walk on. And that's what we're seeing in the book of Romans. In fact, I didn't know this uh, up until recently, that uh, Ivy League schools used to actually study Romans 1 as a way to establish their court case in United States courts. 
because Paul does such a great job of laying out what the problem, first the symptoms, then the problems, and then what to do about it. And so tonight we're going to be looking at a couple different things that are going to be diagnosed in this passage, but I want you to see on the screen what, what we're going to be kind of targeting as we go through three things that generate the wrath of God. And as you can see, I put in parentheses that are also incredibly dumb. They're incredibly dumb, and I'm going to say this, because if you know what they are, then you shouldn't be committing them, right? But yet, that's not human nature. We still want to do what we want to do. But the story goes like this. There are three things that generate the wrath of God. First, the suppression of truth. That is very strong throughout this text, and you're going to see why. Usually, people don't suppress the truth when it's for them. But when it's against them, then they want to push it back, right? The second thing is worshiping creation versus the creator, Worshiping creation versus the creator. And then it goes into, if you can see, as we're reading through the scripture, it's going to be like a step one, step two, step three. Perverted God's creation for their own lusts. Perverted God's creation for their own lusts. Now, the reason why this is crazy is because it would be weird for me to go back into the doctor's office with a double cheeseburger in my hand, with extra bacon, as I'm dipping it in blue cheese sauce, and go, what's the problem? Why didn't you fix this? And him being like, you didn't listen to anything I said, or you're doing a great job, Joey, right? You know, I would want him to go slap that burger out of my face and go, you know what? If you want to live, this is what you want to do. Do you know in the book of Revelation, the entire presentation of God's wrath is that we are all appointed to God's wrath, but the safest people are the ones that are forgiven. And the safest place for you to be in, in the path of God's wrath is to be in his loving hands. And that's something that Christians have a wrestle with. And you're going to see that when when uh, Paul is writing this, he's actually writing this to a church. He's not writing this just to heathens and pagans. He's writing this to people that are in church. So if you can, join me in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to walk through this diagnosis together. And like I said, notice those three points as we walk through here. Romans chapter 1, we're going to go down to verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Isn't that amazing? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Let me ask you this question. Every single person is going to stand before the Lord. Will they have an excuse? The only excuse you'll ever have is Jesus Christ. I know Jesus Christ, but you won't have any other excuse. There'll be plenty of excuses maybe uttered, but none of them will last, right? None of them will stand. None of them will hold up in court. And this is what it is. This is Paul's uh, presentation of the gospel. We've done that from, one, from uh, verse 1 through verse 17, right? Now what are we doing? To see the opposite side of the gospel. What is the gospel? We all know it to be the good news. We can't be good news unless there's bad news. And this is the bad news right now. He's saying in the beginning of this discussion of ungodliness and righteousness, there is something that is broken. And it's broken before the Lord. There are people who want to live before the Lord the way that they want to live. And guess what? To do that, to know about God and to continue doing what you're doing despite knowing the truth, you have to suppress the truth. And the only way that you would want to suppress the truth is out of your wickedness. 
The only time that you ever want to suppress the truth is when the truth is not for you. But when the doctor walked in and said, hey, you have something going on, was he for me or is he against me? And that's the issue with the world today and maybe even inside this church is we like to construct or build an image of a God that is always for us. But sometimes the wrath of God is the love of God. And that's where he comes in and goes, you know what? There's an issue. I'm looking inside of your heart and I see a sickness and that sickness is sin and it will kill you. Will you receive my diagnosis and will you receive my cure? And that is the issue of the person that is uh, receiving this letter right now. And that is still us. So what is the truth that man is guilty of suppressing? Well, we can suppress the truth in a couple of different ways. We can say that maybe the God of the Bible isn't the real God. Maybe, have you ever heard this? Oh, uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really into church. Well, what are you into? Well, I like to just do, I like to go in my garden and sing songs to God. I actually had somebody say that. That's how I do church. I go in my garden. They did say it was the Gaithers, though. They turned the Gaithers up real loud. So it's kind of it's holy, right? And then they would sing to the Lord. And I go, have you ever opened up your Bible? No, me and the Bible don't really work well together. But then I would have to say, but that's the promises and the word and the law of God. What are you going to do? How are you going to decide? You are now your own God. You are now dictating to God who you are. And then so I would say that, that there is, that's pretty crazy to me. I, I could never be able to suppress the truth that way. But also too, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't know how you could look at this world and say that there is no God. You could say that this is there's not the God that I want or there is no God. I would say there's no way to do that. In fact, if you look at every design, right, you have a designer. And then I would say this, if you look at everywhere inside of the design of this world, the way the world is created, you can see order, can you not? Everything that has gravity, everything sticks to it, Right? It's not like one day the earth was like no more gravity and we all went flying off into space, right? Because there is an order to that. And that's what you can see in, in the solar system. Every day we see the sun rise and we see the sun set and it's on a clock, right? We set a clock by that. We set a calendar by that. This is the world that we live in. In fact, I love when I read Psalms because I'm trying to read Psalms um, every day. Like I read my devotional and then I read a, a Psalms and I got to Psalms 19 and I was like, this is perfect. This is David in Psalms 19. Just think of a young guy laying in the field, looking up the heavens and seeing the constellations and going, there's a God. Listen to what he says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. I just think about this. You could go, well, maybe not everybody's as educated as maybe some of the pastors that have gone to seminary or maybe a scientist or anything, but yet a young shepherd boy could lay in a field and see the creation of God and go, I can see the handiwork of God. And I can see order. And because there's order, there's somebody behind that order. In fact, this is even how God introduced himself in Exodus chapter 3. Remember, we went through Exodus last year. God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In fact, the way that he introduces himself to Israel after a moment of silence, right over hundreds of years of silence, right? He introduces himself back by saying, I am, or saying it this way, I am the uncreated one. All of you are my creation. I am the creator. And now you get to know your creator through relationship. And the way that I'm introducing myself, first and foremost, is as your creator. And I think that's fascinating because we have to ask ourselves, who is God? And once you know who God is, 
God through his word, God through the Bible, God through Jesus Christ, you now move into a right relationship through revelation. This is the thing that's missing in the world today. There's a lot of people that are suppressing truth, but they're also suppressing revelation. There's nothing more amazing to me than when I sit across from somebody, maybe at the high school, or just maybe doing some kind of evangelism outreach and talking to them, and them knowing that they live in sin, even though they don't truly know God. Something's wrong. Something's amiss. I'm not right. And then I give them the gospel, and they go, that's it. That's the thing that my heart's been yearning for. And that's not a truth or a revelation that I gave them. That's a truth or a revelation that God wrote on their heart and their heart had a God-sized hole and it's been waiting for God. The creation has been waiting for the creator. And now that I've given them just the name of the creator, God, Jesus Christ, they're like, now I know where to look. The thing that I was looking for is right here. And so if you look at verse 21, as we continue along, this is where they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth and righteousness. And what's the next result? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, there's a lot of times I, I watch uh, apologetics videos and I watch these things where these uh, really great guys that are way smarter than me, Christian believers that go into college campuses and not just debate the students, but debate professors. And I love when they, they do this thing and you look at the YouTube video and it's like three hours long. You're like, whoa, are we going to argue about God for three hours? Like, I don't even know if I could do that for three, you know, for 30 minutes, let alone three hours. But these two guys go back and forth, back and forth. And you kind of see there may be some places, there might be some stalemates. There may be some places, let's agree to disagree. But it always comes down to this in the end. Somebody goes there, well, I I just don't want to believe in God because then I'd have to follow him. The end result isn't you didn't convince me because of the evidence. The reason I disbelieve or the reason I go the way that I want to go is because I'm selfish. I am self-centered. I don't want to be God-centered because if I was God-centered, then God would have to lead. And if God was to lead, then I would have to do everything he says, which means maybe God shows up to my heart and starts cleaning out. Maybe he shows up with a mop in a bucket and that mop in the bucket is Jesus Christ's blood to wash you of your sins, but that means that some of that sin's got to go out. But I like some of that sin. I enjoy some of that sin. Maybe I rely on some of that sin to get by. And the Lord is saying, don't you understand though? As much as you like the sin, as much as you like the double bacon cheeseburger, it's killing you. And if I didn't love you, I would tell you everything's okay. But I'm telling you it's not. But here's the cause and the effect. If I keep suppressing the truth, I keep suppressing the truth for what? Not for evidence, but for my unrighteousness. And then what happens? Foolish hearts are, are darkened. I want to let you know, this is what's so crazy to me about creation. You can never, ever look at the sky like David. You can never look at the world and just be like, somebody just took like a, like a box of puzzle pieces and dumped it on the floor and the puzzle just formed. And that's where the random order comes in. But to deny the designer is to deny his also cause and effect. But let me give you like a picture on the screen. We're going to look at this picture called Petra. Some of you guys know this. Has anyone ever actually been there? Some people have actually been there. It's beautiful, right? Some people only know it from Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> right, in the last crusade, right? But if you look at this picture, you would never look at this rock. If you were to walk out to the desert and just come upon this, you would never go, what a beautiful rock formation. In fact, if the guy who did all the... Clink, 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 clink. If did all the sculpting, would look at you and go, excuse me? 
right? Wouldn't it be like a rock formation? You wouldn't think like water did that, right? Or wind and erosion did that, would you? You would be saying, I look at this, I see order, I see beauty, I see design. So therefore there must be a designer. And this is what the world is trying to preach to us today is that something like this can come out of chaos. Something like this can come out of uh, the complex nature of the world can just be simplified to, yeah, all of a sudden this sprang up. And yet we know from the beginning that the Lord is the creator. And this is how the whole system works. You know that when scientists are actually, uh, this is what's amazing. So they'll deny God. But when, uh, you know, if you ever listen to those things where they, uh, they do those huge satellites and they go, they listen for these radio signals from out, we're looking for intelligent life, right? And how do they define intelligent life? Somehow that the radio signals that are coming back to us are full of order. The same scientists that would deny the order that they see in creation are the same ones that will grasp for straws across the universe just to get one little glimpse of order because that would prove that there's intelligent life. Yet you could look at the human body, one of the most amazing engineering feats ever. When Think about a body without sin, but I know we live in a fallen world. I have high blood pressure, right? You know, bodies are falling apart. But think of how the body works, how it supports itself, how strong it is, how it heals itself, how it continues to work. One of the most amazing things, if if you watch, uh, I did a a documentary on sleep and how much the body repairs itself at night and all the different intricacies, uh, the rods and cones in your eyes that are being perfected, the blood that's being cleaned, the the little cells that are going out and fighting. Do you know that everybody has cancer in their body at some point and there's these cells that come out and attack cancer all night long and remove them. I know some people do have cancer, but just think of how amazing that is. All while you're asleep and unconscious. And this was not something that was random. And then people would deny it. But if you think about this, I would, I would refuse to believe anything from God, so I'll believe anything else. And so as we degrade the, the designer, then we just start to degrade the design. And that's what you're going to see later in this book. And I want to let you know, I, I get into a lot of arguments with, with especially teenagers who always come in, or some of the young adults, somebody comes right out of an astronomy class, right? You know, and they're hot. They got their textbook in their hand. And they're like, don't you believe in the Big Bang? And I go, absolutely. But I also believe that there was a Big Banger. <laughs> and he was right there. And he caused it to happen when he said, let there be light. And that's something that you have to do. Once you acknowledge that, once you believe that, then you can see where you fit in the infinite expanse of heaven. And I always thought about this too. You ever just kind of do this as a moment as we just reflect and you look out into the world? You ever wonder, why is space so big, Lord? Like I know we had the Garden of Eden, we have Earth, but why is space so gigantic? And I would just say this, I believe that the space is so gigantic, and even though, as I say, it's even expanding, as I would let you know this, I think the Lord put that in that place so that we could see that the God of that universe, the God of that expanse, could be that powerful. His divine nature could be that expansive. Because how else would you believe that his love was powerful enough to save not just me, but all of us? Think of every sinner who's come to the cross has received the love of the Lord when they have called out forgiveness. Not one was turned away because God was like, oh, I'm, I'm running out of grace. I'm running out of forgiveness. I can't turn over any more lives. I can't transform anybody because I don't have the power. But when you look at the expanse of space and you go, if God could oversee all that, then he can oversee this. So whenever you look at that infinite expanse, maybe you're thinking about the Big Banger. You just say this, you know what? Maybe if there is that infinite power, then there's that much infinite love. Isaiah would say it this way. Lift up your eyes and look to the heaven. Who created all these? 
He who brings the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. In Psalms 103, it says right here, excuse me. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So as big as the universe is, that's how much love he has for you. Isn't that an amazing thought? It would take that kind of a God to maybe sway some of us if we think that our sin is that far gone, right? And that's where the wonder and truth comes in there. But that's where we're at. We're looking at a a group of people who would look at that kind of expanse, that would look at the body, that would look at creation, look at order, and say, you know what? I'm still not convinced, which brings us to verse 22. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. But this is what happens. When you have broken truth in your life, then you have broken worship. And when you have broken worship, you know what you do? You remove yourself from the, the story. You say, this is my nature. But that's the very thing that the Bible says. The very thing that pulls you away from God is your fleshly nature. And that is why you are a fool. Because when you look beyond yourself and you see God, immediately you want to fall to your knees and go, I'm not the only thing in this world. But the moment you suppress the truth and you break the truth and you suppress it and move back, now your worship falls away. It says that we move in a place of ungratefulness. And when we're in a place of ungratefulness, guess what? We don't worship properly. We move like fools. We look like idiots. It's the dumbest thing you could ever do is to start worshiping the creation versus the creator. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says it this way. This is why it's so dumb. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So my unrighteousness that I would, you know, would like to commit, like, so some people say, well, maybe my sexual sin at home is just, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody, it's for me. Yeah, that's not true. You did hurt somebody. You hurt Jesus Christ on the cross. Not only that, you attacked yourself because why? You have been made in the image of God. So when you do sexual sin, you say, or maybe some of these sins that don't hurt anybody, no, it's an attack on the very image of God. I would never look at one of my own kids and be like, well, that's you. Go ahead and just, you know, keep putting your hand on the stove. You'll learn. Or would I go and go, let me explain this to you. I know you're two years old, but this thing's really hot. If you do, it's going to burn. And then I'm going to have to take you to the hospital. I'm going to have to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is all me. This is because I love my son, but also because I want to raise him up to be what? To be made in my image. I don't want him to be just two forever. I want to raise him up to be a mature young man and learn all the things that I've learned. How much more does God want to share with us? Does he want you to take his image and drag it through sin or raise it up to high places, heavenly places that he's meant it for? And so you can see this as we suppress revelation and truth, we also suppress our worship. Look at verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. Right here, we're talking probably about like early stages of idolatry, right? And you're talking about what immediately immediately I create a God. If I don't like the God in heaven, if I don't like the God that's the creator, who's the God that I make? I make a God that lets me do what I want. And I make him the way that I want him to look. I don't like that God who's going to convict me of my sins. I want a God that helps celebrate my sins. Or maybe doesn't even just convict my sins, tells me it's okay after I did something wrong and we just, you know, I pay a little penance and I move on. But these are the same gods that would demand that people put their babies on the altar and kill them. 
These are the same gods that would tell them, you know, sacrifice humans. Why? Because I need what I need. How much more self-centered can we be? Aren't you glad we don't have idols today? I'll let that sink for a second. Today we raise up different kinds of idols, don't we? Idols that we raise up are all kinds of things. It could be ourself. It could be our, our spouse. It could even be a pastor. Do we not do that in the church today? Isn't names and titles a big thing? I know it's not, this church is good, we're good, we're fine. But some churches, they, they, they wrestle with that, don't they? Parking spaces can be an idol. I've seen that happen in a church. I've seen people leave the church over a parking space. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I was like, are you kidding me? You can't go two spaces down? But just think about this. When you're broken in your truth, you're broken in your worship. When there's no gratefulness in your worship, guess what? You will worship in any way that you design because you know why? Idolatry has taken over your mind. Kids can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. Your boat can be an idol. But yet, we would replace that because we would say, you know, this is where I get my happiness from. This is where I get my happiness from. And so when we suppress the truth, then we find ourselves angry and frustrated that the, what we worship doesn't do exactly what God wants us to do, right? Or treat us the way God wants. No one's going to fill that hole in your heart like God. And this is where 24 goes. Verse 24 leads us right to it. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So now in dishonoring God in their heart, dishonoring God in their mind, what happens next? Now, because they've broken the image of the Lord, and now that they've broken the truth of the Lord, what happens? They now, what comes out of the, what Jesus would say, what's sinful is not what's, you know, comes out of a man, it's what's in a man. But now what happens when the sinfulness comes out? Sexual impurity. You want to see what's a red flag for a society? is when you can see when immediately if that society is rejected, God, it's how sexual impurity runs rampant. You know, one of the things that was strong about Rome is that sexual impurity was run so rampant that other, other uh, societies and other cultures and tribes commented, I cannot believe how much men have sex with men at, at, at an open level, at an open level. Like they were blown away. There are other historians uh, around the world that were dealing with Rome were like, I'm not in belief with how much that they push this on people. And this was towards the end of their, of their reign. And so this is, we're going to see two natural results for rejecting God. Two natural results for rejecting God. Immediately you slip into impurity. And the second thing is you replace the creator with creation. So you immediately reject impurity. No one has ever rejected God to go on to live a godly life. Just think about that for a second. No one's ever rejected God. And I don't mean just like, I don't like this book of the Bible. I mean like, I'm talking about like, I just don't want to follow God in this area. I don't want to give submission to God in this area. No one has rejected God. And there's nothing but the truth and the whole truth, right? It's the whole truth of the Lord that we reject. Yes, I love God in every area except for. No one's ever rejected God and gone on to be in a godly life. And you can see, especially in Rome at the time who he's writing to, you have an amoral society. You reject the truth. Broken worship equals a broken image of God, which also means broken identity. Are we dealing with that today? If you don't know who you are underneath the Lord, and because you don't know who the Lord is, guess what? You don't know yourself. 
you were made for God by God. And in doing so, and knowing who he is, now you've received the truth in that revelation of truth. Guess what? Maybe the creation needs to follow the creator, but if you don't, guess what? You start to live for whoever you want to live for. And what the Lord will do eventually is allow sexual impurity to take over because why? That's what you wanted. He gave you over to the God that you wanted to worship, which was yourself. And so now the dishonor is not now flowing in the heart, it's coming out. And Paul saw this very strongly. By the way, he would be in the city of Corinth. And if you guys know anything about Corinth, Corinth was very famous for having temples that were set up. And the way that they would worship is they would go to the temple and a temple prostitute would greet you. And that's how you began your worship service. You would begin your worship service by spending time with a temple prostitute. You would go in, maybe give some money to the temple and then go about your day. And he would say, this city is falling apart because they don't know their God. Let me just ask you this in this country right now. How many issues would we not be struggling with in the courts if we were in line with God? Wouldn't even be a wrestle. Wouldn't even be a problem. Wouldn't even be a discussion. In our Supreme Court, what would the laws of our lands look like? What would our courts look like? What would our politicians look like? What would our schools look like if we all just surrendered to God? Our homes and our family. God definitely has a calling on our life for sexuality. I want to put this up, Hebrews 13, verse 4. The writer of Hebrews would go on to say this, and I love this. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Before we get into the later verses that we're going to see, there's going to be a culture bomb that's about to go off in, in the book of Romans. We're going to see that right here, he is saying right now that sex outside of God's design will be judged. Anything else is immoral. You can't be any more clear than that. And when we're talking about the marriage bed, the description is definitely, as we're going to see through the scriptures tonight, that it's definitely marriage is between a man and a woman. One man, one woman designed by God to create the family. In fact, you could say, well, you know, that's good for everybody else. But even in the Old Testament, they couldn't do it. How many times did David take on wives? How many times did Solomon take on wives, right? More than one wife. And then what did that become? The bane of their existence, right? Why? Because they didn't, they stepped outside of God's design. So when you are serving something created like your own body and you are serving the impulses and the nature and the dishonor that comes out of your flesh, what comes next? You look dumb and before the Lord because you're taking the very image of God and dragging it through sin because you're never reaching higher because you don't have a higher ideal in front of you. One of the craziest things whenever I counsel somebody who, especially teenage girls that have babies, um, but you know, like they're in high school and they don't have anybody with them, I always have this conversation. They go, they give me something to live for. It's like a higher, a higher way of living to pour myself into another human being. And I'm like, that's absolutely true, right? There, there is an ideal there to be a mother. That's amazing. But that's not how God planned it, did he? Because you're missing out on so much of the design, Right? But the only reason that you are just now finding purpose is because you didn't know who you were in Jesus Christ and you dishonored him and now you are dragging more people into your sin. And that's what the Lord is saying right here. It is okay to be a good person, but even Hitler was good at watercolors, guys. That doesn't make you a forgiven person. That doesn't mean that's your calling in life. That means the majority of idols that you have in your life put you away from God. The things that you were setting up for presenting you going, you know what? The more that everything makes it okay to do what I do, guess what? There's more wedges between you and the Lord. Which brings us to verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. And even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. 
And in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed. That's kind of a crazy word, right? In the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another, and men committed shameful acts with other men and received to themselves the due penalty for their error. And so the Lord is saying, if you want to leave me for destruction, if you want to not listen to my prescription, if you don't want to hear my diagnosis, then I just got to let you go. And this is how we know we live in a post-Christian society here in America. I'm just going to be real with you. We are in that place. We are in that state. Because no reason or logic can come into place. When you look at a man and you look at a woman, we're not going to get in the birds and the bees. I hope we don't have to. But when you look at a man and you look at a woman, you see a place where there is a natural order for sex. When you look at a man and a man and a woman and a woman, there's not a natural order for what is sex. And we can even get a win to procreation, right? We're looking at the design for it, right? And when you're looking at that, you can now argue that that doesn't matter. What matters is how I feel. In fact, even more so, we're giving ourselves over to lust. We are a nation that is guided by lust. And we're living under a tyranny, and that tyranny is this. I will replace God's authority for my feelings and my lust. And then so, this is why it's so difficult for Christians to have the conversation that we're going to have in the next couple of verses. And I want to let you know, the issue, before we dive into this, is not an issue of just homosexuality. It's not just an issue of LGBTQ. It's an issue of worship and truth. And the biggest thing that we're going to find that is in this particular place is that we have a worship problem in this nation. Yes, there is an issue of the sins that are going to be described. Yes, those people should not be able to, or should be able to go to the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness. But guess what? They won't if they're not going to be ready to receive, if they don't know their father the way that he's described in the Bible, unless they are suppressing the truth. And what you're going to see is we definitely need to have this conversation inside of the church. And I know that today, even in the youth department or even in other places we have a conversation, the conversation can swing very wild in the church, can it? Where do we land on this subject of homosexuality? Well, you know what? The Pharisees thought that they were holier than everybody. Did Jesus correct them? There's a bunch of liberal churches that Jesus wrote letters to in the book of Revelation. Did he correct them? Yes, we can definitely end up very legalistic like the Pharisees. And we can say to people, you know what? My sin is better than your sin. How would that hold up if Jesus was standing next to you? I'm just a liar, Lord, but have you seen what they're doing? Get him, Jesus. And at the same time, we can do this. We like to affirm. That's okay. That's okay. God, God, God will take you just the way that you are. And that may be true, but will he leave them the way they are? Look at this slide on the screen. We live in a fallen world and every single person needs Jesus Christ. That's the center of this conversation. Every single person in the world needs Jesus Christ. It's a Jesus problem. That's the problem in this nation. Look at the Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. We're stealing from the future here. It says, as it was written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Every single person from the get-go is a sinner. Is a sinner. Which brings us to verse 28. Look at, look at the, keep the slide up on the screen. We live in a fallen world and every single person needs Jesus. Look at verse 28. Furthermore, just as they do not, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do... So they do what ought not to do, be done. Excuse me, that's hard. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Guess what the wickedness is? Evil. That's pretty much a blanket statement, right? Greed, depravity. 
Guess what? Envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. How about gossips? That never takes place in the church. Slanderers, never. God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. I'm going to just stop for a second. If it's hit you, it's the reason why Paul is putting this in this moment is just, you know, put us in the same place of the people that he just talk, talked about. Before you get all high and mighty, has anyone ever hated anybody in their heart and committed murder according to, to Jesus Christ? If you even hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. If you ever look at somebody with lust, you've already committed adultery. That's us. As if you've ever stood over the, the, the blessings of the Lord and said, I did this then you're a prideful person. It was for pride that Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, wasn't it? How many times have we said, it's me, not the Lord? How many times have you said to the Lord, my way, not your way? I love this part right here. Arrogant Bosa says, they invent ways of doing evil. I always laugh at this part. They disobey their parents. That always seems like very low on the list, right? Well, like if they're already doing the other stuff, of course they're disobeying their parents. And they stay up late and they don't brush their teeth is what it sounds like to me. Verse 31, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteousness decree that, the, that those who do such things deserve death, they not continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Doesn't verse 32 change everything? I, yes, you can have a homosexual friend. Yes, you can lead them to the Lord. Can you approve of what they do? Not according to the scripture. And this is not something that I said. This is something that the scripture said. And we don't judge them by our own righteousness. Whose righteousness do we judge them by? Jesus Christ. That means that as me standing over here, and I've been guilty of this in the past, and go, have you ever looked at that sinner? Thank God I'm not like them. And immediately I would have to turn around and look at the measurement of the cross. And that's what he's talking about right now. Now, as we read this, we want to just move ourselves out of self-righteousness and move into righteousness. And this is where I want to say this. We're going to have a very uncomfortable conversation um, because this is the uncomfortable thing that's happening in our society today, right? But I want to remind you, as we move forward in this conversation, because it can be very difficult to talk about the LGBTQ community inside of the church, I want to let you know something. Before we cherry pick our sins or how, of the things that maybe, I don't like that sin. That's why I can hate on it. I want to just put up this slide first. And I want you to understand everything that we need to know about God's intention for our lives. Marriage was designed for our holiness, not for our happiness. And if anybody argued on where to eat on the way here, you may know that already. But the Bible is very clear about this message. The Bible is very consistent about this design. Marriage was designed for our holiness, not our happiness. That isn't to say the joy of the Lord can't be run rampant right through your marriage because you are doing everything right before the Lord and honoring your spouse and living for Jesus Christ. Christ is at the center of that marriage. But the first and foremost thing is that holiness is this. Marriage is an image of Jesus Christ. Marriage is an image of Jesus Christ's relationship with the church. And that is why I think Christians today struggle with this idea of why we look at somebody who may be not living in the right way and we go, oh, that's so wrong. And there's just something about it. It seems worse, doesn't it? But I think it's because we don't know how to step back and have this conversation. We need to decide right now, what is marriage actually for the Bible or the way that I say it is? And if I can let the Lord decide the way that it is, then I can maybe approach people who are outside of that way to point them to the right way, not just with words, but by the way that I live. I want you to look at this verse on the screen. Matthew 19, four through six. It says here, haven't you read? And he replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one in flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We may have heard this verse before, but I want you to focus on one thing. The part where it says, what God has joined. The reason why we know that marriage is for holiness is because it is appointed by the Lord. It's appointed by God. It's an appointment made by God. It's not just something I feel good to do. It's something that's a calling that I live for. And it goes back to Genesis 2.24. It says this, This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And this brings us to the last part, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh. Look at the last part. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know, the Beatles said, all you need is love. By any of the verses that we just read, is that true? No. What you need is the hand of God in everything that you do. So ultimately, that's the picture of what we're saying. And I think that that's the reason why we may struggle when we watch people attack the institution of marriage in this country is we haven't been able to define this or articulate this ourselves, but we're going, I don't know why this bothers me as much as it does, but I think it's because of this, because it's an attack on the very holy image of Christ laying down his life for the church and then taking that bride, right? And living holy for even though the bride might not be right. Remember, we are the broken bride, but what does he do? He redeems us in that marriage. He lives for, he pulls us out. Where is he pulling us to? Heaven. And that's why we struggle with it. But we have to understand that the only place that we can move in that is if we surrender to his plan, just like everybody else. So that's what the church will do. But individually, we have to surrender. And every single person here had to surrender something on the way, not just the church today, but on their way to the relationship with Christ. Did they not? How many mornings did you wake up and go, man, I was really messed up when Jesus found me? Man, I used to do some really messed up things. Even when I knew about Jesus and I said I was going to live for him, I still was sinning crazy. And this is what's coming out of me. This is what's in me. This is what's continually I'm fighting in my flesh. Just you guys know, pastors aren't perfect. They're not wonderful. We wake up every day and go, Jesus, help me bear this cross. And that's the same as everybody that walks in this room. And that's what the Lord is saying. You need an appointment and a holiness. And marriage is the image of that. God reaching down for the broken bride. Now, with that said, we must acknowledge the truth that God has designed uh, gender. Has he not? I created male and female. He's created sexuality. I created this, the, the marriage bed to be undefiled. And he's even designed his marriage, right? And I will tell you this. If you go to a church or you have attended a church that affirms gay marriage, then they are not affirming the Bible. That's what this says right here. And once again, I'm saying this is not something that I want to bring forth for truth, but truth and love because this is what the Bible says. But that doesn't give us the case that we can walk around with our finger pointed out saying, look at us and not them. Look how we're living. I would say that nobody in this church would be here if not for the hands and feet of the Lord reaching out through the church. And I'd ask you right now, can you imagine somebody walking by you and saying, look at that person, they're a liar. They'll never have a place in this church. Look at that person, they've stolen, they're a thief. They'll never have a place in this church. How about this? Maybe they're heterosexual. Look at this person, they do heterosexual, heterosexual, like maybe perversion, like pornography or adultery. They'll never have a place in this church. I'm so thankful that when we look into this church, I'm so thankful when we look into Jesus Christ that we see sanctuary. That there's a radical revelation and that radical revelation is that God loves you 
despite yourself. And he loves you so much, he will take you where you're at, but he loves you so much, he will not leave you where you're at. And that reveals the depth of God's love, which brings us to this next slide. The church needs to be a safe sanctuary for all sinners to surrender to Jesus in truth. Every single one. Every single person that walks through these doors should know that we are all broken sinners just like the rest of the world. The only difference is we have the love of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. And that's why the depth and the beauty of knowing who God is as creator is to know that even though we've rejected at times his creation, his design, we've rejected his truth, we can come back to that truth. Every day that we come in here is another chance to get right with the Lord, amen? Every time that we get on our knees and pray is another chance to get right with the Lord and to be diverted from what? From the wrath of God that was meant for the wicked. That's why the gospel, the good news is so beautiful. 1 Corinthians 6.11 would say it this way. And that is what some of you were. Don't you love that, were? That's what some of you were. You were sinners when we found you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You know, this is how you know the Lord is doing amazing work in everybody's life is, um, I will tell you this, if we were to open up um, your hearts and look into your past, you would be super ashamed, wouldn't you, to let everybody in this room know what it is. And yet God knew every single inch of it and said, I'll take this person. And this is the person I want to wash. And this is the person that I want to be, leave sanctified. And this is the person that I want to be justified. And this is the person I want to hug when they walk through the gates of heaven. Not of their own accord, but because I love them. You know, we could say that, you know, when we deal with people that are in the homosexual lifestyle, LGBTQ community, when they walk in this room, I don't have all the answers for them, like as far as what's the next step. But I know what the first step is, and that's knowing your, your Savior. And in knowing your Savior, I could bring them to 1 Corinthians 6.11 and say, this is where God's goal is. I'll let the Lord do the rest. But in the meantime, I'm going to love you the way he loved me. And the same debt that I was forgiven is the same debt that you're going to be forgiven. Right relationship, right worship will equal right truth. And that's where we want to lead people today. You know, Jackie, my wife, has introduced me to a lady named Jackie Hill Perry. Um, some of you may know about this person. She wrote a book um, actually several books, but she is a lesbian that gave her heart to the Lord and then now has moved into a right relationship with the Lord, has been married and has several kids now. We watch on Instagram. Every night, Jackie, my wife, shows me everything that's cool on Instagram because I don't do Instagram. And she goes, this is what's awesome on Instagram today. And I love when she shows me Jackie Hill Perry's Instagram and she shows me, they just had another baby and her and her husband are thanking the Lord. And then later that week, she'll have a thing, you know, I still struggle with same-sex attraction. But you know what? I laid at the feet of Jesus and I am, I'm released and I am freed and I go right back into my right relationship with my Lord and then I go right back into my right relationship with God. Who knows what the Lord can do? Who knows what the Lord can do with your friends? Who knows what the Lord can do in your heart? Maybe you have unrepentant sin tonight. Remember, we are a people of holiness before we are a people of happiness, amen? And has God given up on that task? No. I also get this conversation a lot from people who say, well, what about people who struggle with same-sex attraction for the rest of their life? Do you know a lot of the theologians that we quote in our books and in our, in our Bibles, and even maybe in some of your commentaries, are homosexual people that gave their heart to the Lord and then carried that cross every day? There are several theologians, modern theologians, even old theologians, that have said, I just can't get rid of the same-sex attraction, but that's not going to stop me from living for the Lord. I want to put this verse up on the screen, Isaiah 56, 4-5. For this is what the Lord says. 
To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give them within my temple and within its walls a memorial. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Lord putting up a memorial in his temple for you? And a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. What is God's position on people who live celibate for him, no matter what their situation is? I will build them a memorial and I'll give them a name that lasts forever. Wouldn't that be something? You know, Paul was celibate for most of his ministry. We don't think any less of him, do we? Jesus Christ was definitely celibate. We don't think any less of him, do we? But yeah, we could come in here and go, I can't believe that somebody would say, stand in this room, I think I was born gay. Well, I have no real issue with somebody saying that they were born gay. I was born into sin. Do you know I have a proclivity for anger? And unchecked, who knows what anger can do? May have killed somebody someday, but if not for the grace of Jesus Christ. I used to be, as you guys know, my testimony stuck on drugs. Who knows what rage and drugs can do? And you don't look any different than me. You would say, oh, he's freed from that life. He might still struggle with it, but the Lord has him. Amen to the person who takes their life, lays it at the foot of the cross and says, Jesus, do your will in my life. And this brings us to our second to last verse. I promise I'll end end soon. Luke chapter one, verse 37. I actually had a person in South Florida quote this verse to me. It was a guy. He was homosexual. He just got off heroin and he didn't know what to do, but he knew he needed Jesus. And he said, I don't think I'll ever stop being gay, but I know that I'll never stop loving the Lord and the Lord will never stop loving me. But this is what I do. This is my commitment. The way that the Lord loved me is the way I'll love him. And then he quoted this verse, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. You know, anybody can say in this room that I have convictions of fighting the impulses of whatever is going on in my heart whatever's going on in my flesh. And sometimes it can feel like you're fighting a tidal wave. But you have to ask yourself, as we decided decided earlier that God is the designer of this world, he's as big as the universe, he's bigger, right? Is he bigger than that tidal wave? Is he bigger than your sin? Is he bigger than the wrath that he would even pour out? I would say this, the only thing that can save you from that wrath of God is God. And look how God presents himself to the sinner. John three sixteen through 18. Just think about this next time we have that conversation with somebody whose sin might be an aversion to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know this verse already, right? We know that by heart. Thank you, Tim Tebow. But verse 17 goes on to say what we really need to hold on to. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And then verse 18 beautifully puts this exclamation point on there. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God, God's one and only son. You know, this is the conversation that we should be having. Somebody found me when I was, you know, dealing with my issues of drugs and suicide Somebody came to me and they continued that verse from John 3, 16 and read 17 and 18. I'm so glad that the person who's put their arm around me, I was definitely still on drugs. I was still definitely dealing with a lot, right? I tried to commit suicide. You guys know my testimony, but thank the Lord that somebody from the church walked up to me, regardless of my image, regardless of how I felt, regardless how I smelled, put their arms around me and said, but God didn't come into the world to condemn you. He came to save you. 
And that was their message. There's no reason for us to be legalistic. There's no reason for us to be liberal. There's only one thing, the sake of love of God. It's the way that we should calibrate all our hearts and all of our conversations to everybody who walks in our doors or walks in our home or, or enters into a conversation. It should be this one and only thing. I have a God that has forgiven me and he will forgive you and he wants to save you. He died for you just as much as he died for me. So we're going to close with a time of prayer. Um, I'm going to ask just Rachel to come and just play something behind us, but I just want to give you guys a second. I know we're going a little long, but I felt that this was a very important subject tonight for us to step into these uncomfortable conversations and into these uncomfortable places. But we're going to just take this time to say this. This is a place of repentance as well. So if you have suppressed the truth in this room today, I'm just going to ask that you just call out unto the Lord. If you have perverted God's creation and his design, no one knows, no one knows the story, but God does. Open up your heart to him right now. If you're in this room and you're living an impure life, the Lord knows. And yet the Lord through the scripture, through my voice, through this church, through the services, through the worship has said to you, all I want is your surrender. I want to cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. I want to cast it as far as it is from the east to the west. I don't want to dwell in it. I want to pull you forward. I, I do want to grab you right where you are, but I love you enough to not keep you where you are. According to verse 32 as well, if you need to repent for how you've looked at other people and their sin, tonight's your night to repent. And if you've been in this room and you've told somebody that maybe the Lord is not for them because of the way that they live, maybe this is your night to repent as well. Because this is a night of where we all stand before the Lord, broken. That's the only thing that's broken in this room is us, but his truth remains strong. He left heaven to come down to this world, a fallen and sinful world, to reach you right where you're at, to love you right where you're at, to capture you right where you're at, and to save you in his love, by his power, to lift you up into high places, into heavenly places, into holy places. His first order of business is not to make you happy. His first order of business is to make you holy. And if you're in this room tonight and you don't feel holy, this is your time. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that it's not by my will, but it's by your will. It's not by my power, but it's by your power that I have been saved. I'm glad that, that before I even knew that I was as bad of a sinner as I was or the depth of the ugliness that was in my heart, you died for me. Every single one of my sins have been written off, have been forgiven, have been paid by in your blood. You died a death that I deserved and gave me the mercy and grace of freedom and eternal life. And so I pray right now that if there's anybody with hidden sin in their life, that they just say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe there's things on their phone they need to get rid of tonight. Maybe there's things on their computer they need to get rid of tonight. There's shows they don't want to watch anymore. There's things, there's wedges, there's thoughts in their head, places in their heart that they need to get rid of. It might not even be sexual sin. It might be anything. Anger, rejection, doubt, fear. I just get rid of it all tonight. I give it to you, Lord. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be an open temple. I want my heart to be ruled and reigned by the love of Jesus Christ. And then I want to live in that grace forever and ever. 
And so Lord, I just pray, forgive me how I've treated other sinners. Forgive how I've talked to other sinners. Forgive for my self-righteousness. I need your righteousness, Lord. Today, I need your righteousness. Let me bow down my heart before you and say this, free me. Free me, Lord. Forgive me. Restore me. Redeem me by your blood. It's not me, it's you. And let me just become this. Let me become the living gospel. Let people look at me and say, if he or she in this room right now has been forgiven by God, then so can I. If he or she in this room can be redeemed by God, so can I. And like moths attracted to a flame, let the people of this community, let the people of our life, let the sinners that are broken be attracted to the Jesus in our heart. In Jesus' holy name, amen.